Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 48 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the second Sunday after Epiphany, I address the following two topics. First, the upcoming feast days this week. As we have finally ended the octaves of Christmas and the Epiphany, we'll find that the Church's calendar is really full of additional saints that we begin to celebrate this week. So there's a lot to cover in that regard. And there's a lot we can learn about their holy lives in order to imitate them. And secondly, I address the octave of prayer for Christian unity. It begins later this week and is something that unfortunately has been very forgotten in the church, but is something we very much more than ever need to cultivate in our own devotional lives. So I'll be sharing more about that forgotten practice of the octave of prayer for Christian unity. But before I do so, I would like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com offers prayer cards in various formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources, like missile booklets, server response cards, and much more. So please visit PrayLatin.com today, thank them for sponsoring this podcast, and order some of their materials to start this new year off on the right foot. On to the first topic of today's episode. Today is January 14th, and as such, if it was not a Sunday, it would be celebrated on the traditional calendar as the feast day of St. Hilary of Poitiers. He lived from the year 315 to 368 and is a doctor of the church. And of course, doctor of the church does not refer to anything to do with the medical profession. It regards a specific designation conferred on specific saints, which were men. And these particular saints really strongly um, stood up for the truths of the Catholic faith against the errors of their time really effectively through writings and through their sermons and through their speeches, and St. Hilary was one of those. So Doctor of the Church, something to point out to people who are especially new to the faith, is a title that does not refer to anything regards to the medical profession. Now, St. Hilary was born near the end of the 3rd century to pagan parents, and he converted to the faith after an intense reading of the Holy Bible. His wife and children also converted with him, and he eventually became the Bishop of Poitiers, At that time, clerical celibacy was not yet mandatory. He lived the rest of his life for the Catholic faith and worked all of his life to defeat Arianism, a heresy that denied the divinity of Jesus Christ. He has been called the hammer against Arianism, as well as the Athanasius of the West. He is the one who famously baptized St. Martin of Tours. And St. Martin of Tours, of course, his feast day is celebrated in November and inaugurates the period of St. Martin's Lent. So after his feast day, which is Martin Mass, which I've discussed in previous episodes, there would begin the 40-day of fast and penance leading up to Christmas. 
Dom Geringer writes significantly about the spirituality and the influence of St. Hilary on the church. So, of course, if you'd like to learn more information, please check out the show notes and read some of those paragraphs in the article for January 14th on St. Hilary. And hopefully we can try to imitate his holy life as well, understanding the importance of studying the scriptures, studying them well, of course, with approved Bible commentaries from true Catholic sources, and then putting those principles into practice to try to convert unbelievers. January 15th, uh, tomorrow, is the feast of St. Paul the First Hermit. He was an Egyptian hermit and a friend of St. Jerome. And St. Paul is also known as St. Paul of Thebes, in, in addition to the name St. Paul the First Hermit. He was born approximately in the year 229 AD in Egypt, and he left was left as an orphan at the age of 15. And he hid during the persecution of the church under Emperor um, Dacius. At the age of 22, he went to the desert to circumvent a planned effort by his brother-in-law to report him to authorities as a Christian and thereby gain control of his property. Paul soon found that this eremitical life was much to his personal taste, and he so remained in a desert cave for the rest of his reportedly very long life. His contemplative existence was disturbed by St. Anthony of Egypt, who visited the age of Paul. Anthony also buried St. Paul, the first hermit, wrapping him in a cloak that had been given to Anthony by St. Athanasius. According to legend, two lions assisted St. Anthony in digging the grave. And while there is little doubt that Paul lived, the only source for details on his life is found in the Vita Pauli, written by St. Jerome and preserved in both Latin and Greek versions. Um, additionally, it should be noted that there is in the church the order of St. Paul the First Hermit, something that I feel like is not very mentioned, really, even in traditional circles. And this is a monastic order of the Roman Catholic Church founded in Hungary during the 13th century. The order derives its name from the Holy Hermit, who was canonized in the year 491 by Pope Gelasius I. And the coat of arms is uh, for the particular order is taken from the example of St. Paul of Thebes. Now, after his death, a monastery taking him as a model was founded on Mount Sinai and still exists there today. As such, January 15th is a great day for us to pray for those who are currently in the desert, who are hermits, whether they have entered it because of their own desire to or really been forced due to the current persecution in the church by church authorities against true Catholics. We should pray for all of those who are hermits in one way or the other, especially since many of them give up so much, everything really, and they pray for the church and for us. So let us return them our prayers tomorrow and offer to God our sacrifices, our holy communions, our masses tomorrow. And let us also remember to pray for that, the order of St. Paul the First Hermit, which I don't feel like is mentioned really by anybody at all. So let us call to mind their particular needs as well in prayer tomorrow. On to the next day, January the 16th, is the Feast of St. Marcellus I. After having concluded the Octave of Epiphany, but still within Christmas season, which of course lasts until February 2nd, we now celebrate the Feast of another Pope, known as Pope St. Marcellus. Nothing is known in the life of this Pope prior to his ascent to the papacy in the early part of the summer of the year 308 A.D., he led the church as supreme pontiff during the end of the persecutions of Emperor Diocletian, which led to countless martyrs and a great disruption in the church. Pope St. Marcellus faced great struggles as he sought to um, reconstitute the clergy who had been dispersed, 
and hidden from practicing the faith openly during that really demonic onslaught brought on by Diocletian. Pope St. Marcellus I also served in imitation of our Lord the Good Shepherd, as he sought to welcome back and absolve from sin those who had denied the faith for fear of being murdered. However, when a group of the apostatized, known later as the Lapsi, refused to do penance, St. Marcellus refused to allow their return to the church. This group had some political pull and some caused some uh, civil disturbance that Emperor Maxentius exiled the Pope in order to settle the matter. Legend says that St. Marcellus was forced to work as a stable slave as punishment. The church considers Pope St. Marcellus I as a martyr since he died due to the terrible conditions he suffered in exile. He died only one year after his ascension to the papacy in the year 309. While he was initially buried in the cemetery of St. Priscillus in Rome, Italy, his relics were later translated to beneath the altar in the church of San Marcello Al Corso in Rome, where they remain today. And each year during Lent, the stational church uh, devoted um, for Wednesday in the fifth week of Lent is the stational church at the Church of St. Marcellus. So the church remembers him in a particular way that day, uh, in a sense, as well. Now on to the next day, January 17th, is the Feast of St. Anthony of Egypt. And I mentioned St. Anthony of Egypt just a few minutes ago in regards to St. Paul the First Hermit. The feast day of St. Anthony of Egypt occurs just a few days later. Now, St. Anthony of Egypt lived from the year 251 to 356. So some of these things we're talking about are very ancient, and they really show that the Catholic practice is truly the Christian practice. It is not the Protestant one that has been made up. The practice that we're seeing described in the lives of these early Christians is one founded on the Mass and the sacraments and traditional Catholic spirituality and mental prayer. And, of course, fidelity to the church's hierarchy, legitimate hierarchy, of course, and to the sacramental life. Now, after the death of his parents, St. Anthony, only 20 years old, left the world in its riches after hearing the gospel passage from Mark 10.21, which said, Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. St. Anthony sold his house and his furniture and the land he owned, and he gave all the proceeds literally to the poor. He there joined the anchorites who lived nearby. At the age of 35, he moved alone into the desert and lived for 20 years in an abandoned fort. Although he barricaded himself inside in order to achieve solitude, admirers broke in. St. Anthony miraculously healed people while agreeing to be the spiritual counselor of others. He also founded two monasteries on the Nile. In the year 311, he left his solitude in order to combat Arianism and comfort the victims of Emperor Maxentius Maximinius' persecution. While there, he again met his sister, who had also left the world and lived as a nun. He is truly known for being modest and courteous as well. He finally died in solitude in the year 356 of natural causes at the age of 105, and his relics are located near Vienna. It's quite remarkable, really, that some of these saints we're talking about today, who we celebrate this week, ended up living so many long years. It almost shows that the practice of fasting and asceticism and prayer, God blesses, at least sometimes, our physical bodies to persevere a long time in these conditions. And he did so with some of the saints we're celebrating this particular week. Now, what's interesting to note is January 18th. It is in the traditional Catholic calendar. That is the traditional calendar before the changes of 1955, the feast day of St. Peter's Chain at Rome, uh, as well as the commemoration of St. Prisca. 
Now, traditionally, January 18th is the Feast of St. Peter's Chair at Rome, and January 22nd is St. Peter's Chair at Antioch. Pope Paul IV, in the year 1558, instituted this feast on January 18th in order to confound the heirs of the Protestants, who sought to discredit that St. Peter actually lived and died in Rome. The two feasts were included in the Tridentine calendar with the rank of double, which Pope Clement VIII raised in 1604 to the newly invented rank of greater double. Now in the year 1960, John XXIII removed from the general Roman calendar the January 18th feast of the chair of St. Peter, along with seven other feast days that were second feasts of a single saint or the same mystery. And therefore, the January 22nd celebration became a second-class feast. This calendar was therefore incorporated into the 1962 Roman Missal. So for those Catholics who follow the pre-1955 Missal, they will keep January 18th as the Feast of St. Peter's Chair at Rome. Unfortunately, this has been lost even in the 1962 calendar. And as we'll talk about it in a minute, this particular feast day is important because January 18th is also the day in which we begin the octave of prayer of Christian unity. But January 18th is also... Uh, in addition, and the traditional calendar is the Feast of St. Peter's Chair at Rome, the day in which we commemorate St. Prisca. Um, St. Prisca, well, there's actually three St. Priscas who lived in the first few centuries of the church, and all of them were martyrs. Two of them share the same feast day of January 18th, actually. And, but it's the virgin martyr, St. Prisca, that the church primarily celebrates and venerates today in the church's liturgy. Liturgy. She was born to a noble family in Rome during the reign of Claudius II. Most likely a Christian from birth, she was arrested during the persecutions when she was a young teenager and brought before the emperor for questioning. Now, despite her youth, Prisca courageously proclaimed and upheld her Catholic faith, even though she knew that by doing so in those days was ultimately the pronouncement of her own death sentence. She suffered terrible tortures, one of which was to be taken to the arena to be devoured by wild beasts. Rather than devour her, though, the lions are said to have licked her feet. Finally, she was taken outside the city walls and beheaded, and legend tells us that when she was martyred, a great eagle appeared above her and protected her body for several days until the Christians were able to go and retrieve it and to honorably bury it. The young martyr was buried in the catacomb of St. Priscilla, the catacomb named after the, the St. Priscilla, wife of a Roman senator, shares the same feast day of January 18th with the child martyr Prisca. She is said to have opened her home near the catacomb to Christians and to have befriended St. Peter, who used her home as his headquarters in Rome. She was martyred during the reign of Emperor Domitian. An interesting fact, there is probable speculation that this St. Priscilla was a family relation of the child martyr, St. Prisca, who is buried in her catacomb. And the third St. Priscilla was a disciple of St. Paul and a wife of the Jewish tentmaker Aquila. Now, a lot of this might be very new to a lot of people. Even if you are regularly going to the traditional Mass, you might not be going during the week. And again, this is, as we begin a new year, a great time to make the resolution to at least go to one extra Mass during the week. Don't just go on Sundays and Holy Days. The Church's liturgy is so full of these mysteries that we just don't have a chance to experience unless we participate in them. So pick up the bravery, learn it, try to find some resources um, we might do an additional podcast later just talking about the Roman bravery and how to get into it and how to pray it. But live liturgically this year. 
Go to Mass more often. Experience the intercession of these saints. Go to Mass set in their honor and really think and study by their life and reflect on these stories and say, what can we learn from them? How can we venerate them? They're in heaven. They see God now. Let us invoke their intercession that we can imitate them and grow in some of the same virtues that they exemplified. On that note, January 19th is the Feast of Four Martyrs, uh, Marinius, Martha, Audifax, and Abacum. Even though these holy saints lived and suffered martyrdom nearly 2,000 years ago, we would do well, for instance, by recalling their holiness each year on their feast day. It's a modern era to regard only the most recent saints or the recent events in the church or in the world as applicable to us. We can learn from the lives of all the saints from all time. January 19th is also the commemoration of St. Canute, who was a king. Uh, he was, in fact, the martyr king of Denmark, who was slain while in prayer at the foot of the altar. He succeeded his brother in the year 1081 to the throne. He's famously built many churches and monasteries during his reign. In the year 1085, after planning an invasion of England, the nobles rebelled against him and forced him to flee to, the, to an isle. St. Canute, along with his brother and 17 companions, were martyred in the church of St. Alban in the year 1085, and Pope Paschal II canonized St. Canute in the year 1101. Again, that's another saint, like many of these, that people just simply probably have no knowledge of. And finally, this coming Saturday, February, I'm sorry, January 20th, is the feast of Pope St. Fabian. The church remembers St. Fabian along with St. Sebastian. Fabian was a Roman layman who was coming in from the fields one day when the clergy were preparing to elect a new pope. And as soon as St. Fabian came into the assembly, a dove came and rested on his head, a sign for clergy and laity, and he was therefore chosen as the next vicar of Christ. He led the church for 14 years and died in the year 250 as a martyr. He's remembered for baptizing the Emperor Marcus Julius Philippus, known as Philip the Arab, along with his son. Pope St. Fabian helped build in the catacombs, improved the organization of the church in Rome, and appointed officials to register the deeds of the martyrs. His grave, though broken into four pieces, is still readable today in the catacombs of St. Callistus, which says, Fabian, Bishop and Martyr. In addition, as I mentioned, January 20th is also the feast of Popes of St. Sebastian, who lived from 257 to 288. He was a convert to Christianity and died as a martyr for the faith. He helped imprison Christians during his time of persecution and converted many others. And after learning of St. Sebastian's acts, the emperor ordered him to be murdered. Sebastian was pierced with numerous arrows and left to die, but a widow named Irene found him and healed him. After he was healed, he came before Emperor Diocletian again and was then sentenced to death. He was martyred by being beaten to death with clubs. Remember, he refused to give up his love for our Lord and the church. Even after he was left to die with errors, he was healed. He brought back. He did not cower in the face of trial, but went straight to the court of the emperor. In fact, here is a prayer addressed to St. Sebastian that we could pray. Dear commander at the Roman emperor's court, you chose to be also a soldier of Christ and dared to spread the faith in the king of kings for which you were condemned to die. Your body, however, proved athletically strong and the executing arrows extremely weak. So another means to kill you was chosen. You gave your life to the Lord. May athletes be always as strong in their faith as their patron saint so clearly has been. Amen. Wonderful saints who we celebrate this week. Much we can learn from them. But on to the last and second topic of this episode, I'd like to briefly discuss the 
Octave of Christian Unity, known as the Octave of Christian Unity, as well as the Chair of the Octave of Christian Unity. This period lasts from January 18th to January 25th, and it has been virtually forgotten in the church, replaced by a, a, an informal week of Christian unity. Sadly, since the aftermath of Vatican II, um, the primary purpose of this octave, which was to pray and work for the conversion of those outside the true faith, that is the Catholic faith, has been obscured. Now, in the year 1898, Lewis Thomas Watson would establish the Society of the Atonement, an Episcopalian religious community whose purpose was to bring the Franciscan life into the Anglican Church. Working with a woman named uh, Laurent Mary White, they would eventually, in 1909, convert to the Catholic faith after having preached the primacy of the Roman Pontiff for several years. In fact, the Vatican took at that time an unprecedented step to accept the members of their society as a corporate body, allowing the friars and the sisters to remain in their way of life. Now, Father Paul Watson, as he was then known, would continue to labor for the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement and for Christian unity until his death on February 8, 1940. The same is true of Mother Laurent, who would labor for this purpose until her death on April 15, 1935. A lasting legacy of their work is the establishment of this octave of Christian unity, which was observed each year in January since first established by Father Watson in 1908. There's different intentions throughout this entire week from January 18th to 25th. For instance, January 20th, the reconciliation of Anglicans with the Holy See, the 24th, the reconciliation of European Protestants, the 24th, the, um, that the Jewish people may come into the inheritance of Jesus Christ, etc., so in the link to the show notes, there'll be more information regarding to the traditional prayers to that octave, which we had, can print out. There's a printable version. Bring it in your home. Take it to Mass, or at least say it at home, yourself or with your family, every single day. If you pray the Divine Office, I would add it immediately to Lauds as well. And there's several other great prayers in there for the for conversion of pagans, Jews, Muslims, Schismatic Orthodox, Protestants, Freemasons, Anglicans, and even lapsed Catholics. And of course, remember, we're doing this because there is no salvation outside the church. I mentioned as well in my article the importance of year-round efforts to propagate the faith. May we not lose the focus this year on remaining true to our Lord, of overcoming our sins, of growing in virtue, and of spreading the faith without which no man can be saved. May God grant you a most blessed week. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and let us strive for greater holiness this and every other week. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. Quid olis peccata 